on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. <laughs> And we're back with an all-new Keep It for 2020. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Six S's Vertel. And my name is Aida Osman. Wasn't that cool and grounding of us to put our names out there? Sometimes no. people don't know, I think. They think I'm Louis. Right, sure. All the time. Well, only some of us said our names in a grounded way. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also, I, it's important for me to brand. And I think when you say my name, there should be a hiss. Is like, your, like Ka from the Jungle Book. Is your brand <laughs> parcel tongue? <laughs> anyway, it is 2020. We are leaving last year behind. It is a new day. It's a new dawn. It's a new life for me. I'm familiar with the song. Yes, I did see a funny meme about how we're just entering 2019 too, the remake or reboot or something, which may be true. Are the red receipts on, Ira? Red receipts. Damn. And they, and they are on. They're on? They're still on. They've been okay. on. Stay on. Yeah. That is, it's too right stressful now. for me. Why? You it's, don't the, like... it's the uncut gems of decisions. It... <laughs> I think I'm starting to like inducing anxiety in other people. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. You don't feel what I feel. <laughs> That's why I have a Xanax prescription. Can you share? Isn't that illegal? Oosh, we'll talk after this. <laughs> we'll talk after. <laughs> Trying to get me arrested 2020. Uh, what is everyone looking forward to in 2020? I know I am looking forward to not being sick mm-hmm. and on mm-hmm. my deathbed. I'm looking forward to the opposite for you, but uh, what am I looking forward to? I've decided something that's going to get me through this year, which will be stressful for all of us, I'm sure, is the renaissance of Kristen Wiig. We're going to get her in that Wonder Woman movie, playing okay. hopefully a oh, very finally. good diabolical villain. And also, yes, yes, plus there's another movie coming out that we know very little about called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, which if you saw Who's Knives Out... Uh, Annie Mumolo, who she co-wrote Bridesmaids with, and now she's in this movie. Okay. Also in this movie is Wendy McClendon Covey, a very underrated player in Bridesmaids. This preview made me laugh so hard, and you can't find it on the internet. It, there's no trailer for it yet. You had to have seen, I believe, Knives Out in order to see it. But hopefully it will be a return to form to Kristen, who has been so weirdly used in movies over the years, uh, the past few years. She had a streak of indie movies like Welcome to Me, but then she went to like a Despicable Me 3, Downsizing, Mother, Where'd You Go Bernadette place, and we've sort of lost track of her. She was in The Martian for some reason. Yeah. Are you really going to see Wonder Woman 1984? For her, I would. I mean, like female protag plus female antag, that's what I'm about. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. I saw the last one. Oh, well, Patty Jenkins did what she had to do. Right, right. Mine are movies around one person, too. So after I watched Dolomite Is My Name, I was really impressed by Eddie Murphy and like this comeback that he's making. And it was rumored, I, I saw on Twitter maybe a couple weeks ago, that he's going to do a stand-up special again. So I want to see Eddie Murphy's coming back to stand-up. And also, Coming to America, I think, is coming out, which is the mm-hmm. sequel to Coming to America. And I loved that movie as a child, so I just can't wait to see what Eddie Murphy's doing. On another tip... 
where are the Obamas at with their production company? Yeah, right. That's another thing I'm excited about. Later this year on Netflix, the Obamas have a documentary called Crip Camp, and it is about this place down the road from Woodstock in the 70s. It's a summer camp for teens with disabilities, and it sort of transformed their lives and started mm-hmm. a movement. Okay. Well, that's, yeah. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so, and then also the new Bad Boys movie I'm excited for. Oh, yeah. That footage of the Bad Boys people meeting the coming to America, they were on the same set or something like that, was just heavenly. Everybody seemed to be having a ball. It was also Mm -hmm. just all of those legends together. Yeah, it was like Hollywood Squares. Yeah. Very nostalgic. I am also looking forward to a high octane sequel this year. Mm -hmm. My favorite actor, as we all know, Mr. Tom Cruise. Okay, yes. Top Gun 2. Wow. Uh, Right, with Val Kilmer. Yeah. And Jennifer Connelly? Jennifer Connelly. It has Miles Teller in it, who... Who I love. I, I don't, we I don't get to see enough of him. I can't unstand. Unfortunately, yeah. it continues for me. Not that there's really anything wrong with him. I just think he's so not my brand in many ways. Like, he plays douchebags a lot of the time, or cocky people, whatever. But anyway, they're always if you read douchebags. It, if, yeah. if you read interviews with him, he appears to be one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I still love him. Glenn Powell is also in the film, and that is an attractive man. He was mm-hmm. really good in that so-so Netflix rom-com, Set It Up. Yes. And I also loved him in Mamma Mia 2. Yeah, and in um, Hidden Figures. Right, he was in Hidden Figures, where Kristen yeah. Dunst was maybe at her most evil, but also really good. Yeah. John Hamm is also in the film. Ed Harris, Jay Ellis. I'm still mad at John Hamm for his performance in Richard Jewell. He was too one-sided mean-fed. Well, he did have Olivia Wilde shaking her reporter breast <laughs> in his face. True. <laughs> Trying to track down a scoop. I might be 100% evil after that, too. <laughs> uh, anyway, 2020, at least movie-wise, seems like it will be very good. Tolerable. Yeah, we're yeah. just very excited for movies. Yeah, we might all die, yeah. but who knows? Especially since... I'll say this Oscar season strikes me as slightly underwhelming. So if we can ramp up movies at all for 2020, yeah. I'd be thrilled for it. Well, we're going to get into that because we will be talking about Sunday's Golden Globes telecast, which was a sad omen for <laughs> award season. <laughs> kind of true. Yeah. And we will also talk about Judge Judy endorsing Bloomberg for president, which is a sad omen for the 2020 uh, presidential race. I love when people worth 11 figures can stick together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but to lighten things up, we will also be joined by one of our faves, Darcy Carton from The Good Place. And Bombshell and Barry and Broad uh, City. An up- and Broad City and yes. an upcoming A League of Their Own TV show. Truly the ideal life. Yeah. So we will be right back. Sunday night marked the 77th annual Golden Globe Awards, and they were exciting, thrilling, the best Golden Globes I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) The look in your eyes is that you ate the bad berries. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I do have a tenuous grasp of the truth. I have long argued this. Because this show was, I wouldn't say it was bad. Uh, I found actual parts of it entertaining, but there were also so many elements of the show that ultimately left me feeling 
very disappointed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, very disappointed with our industry. Very disappointed with just the air of this award season. And we'll get into that. But what were the initial thoughts from both of you? Well, I mean, starting with Ricky Gervais, who, of course, has hosted this now five times. He's like the Steve Martin SNL of the Golden Globes, for better or for worse. Um, I will say this. His monologue was pretty short. I mean, it could have been much more painful. There could have been twice as many awkward shots of Tom Hanks wondering why he has to be in the front row for this. Could have been some more mocking of Robert Downey Jr.'s sobriety like he did that one year. Uh, Right, right. Um, But for the most part, I actually thought his jokes were... Standard, because by the way, when you host an award show like this, there's really a lane you stay in. There's like the right amount of edgy jokes you can make. And by edgy, I mean he made Me Too type jokes. And some of those, by the way, are now pretty dated. He said, you all have one thing in common. You're all afraid of Ronan Farrow. It's like, that's very 2018. Yeah. I've definitely seen that in award show Between before. Between those jokes and the jokes that he made about the in memoriam and the lack of people of color, I was like, just... Where are we going with this, yeah, Ricky? move it right along. Let's there go. were better Ronan Farrow jokes on the latest season of You. Indeed. And, and better <laughs> That's cameos. true. I, I was going to say, true. if you're going to make Ronan Farrow jokes, they should be about his like 20-part Insta stories where he's retweeting book compliments. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Let's move it on to that. <laughs> How many times is he going to reshare the same photo shit? Right, yeah. But, like, for instance, when Ricky Gervais made a joke about how by the end of the premiere of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Leonardo DiCaprio's date was too old for him. Like, that reminded me of Tina Fey and Amy Poehler hosting yeah. their yes. jokes about George Clooney. It's a familiar lane, but a good lane. Like Aida said, too, the ones about not nominating people of color, we, the Oscar So White era really sort of beat those jokes into the ground. True. So I will say that aside from the Epstein joke, which I found hysterical, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. especially um, the follow-up when people groaned. Spoiler alert, um, season two is on the way, so in the end, he obviously didn't kill himself, just like Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> Shut up. I know he's your friend, but I don't care. <laughs> you had to make your own way here in your own plane, didn't you? Most of the other jokes just felt sort of stale and expected. Yeah. And... I don't think people were grousing because they were uncomfortable. I feel like people were just sort of like, that's it? Yeah. Then, are you done yet? Yeah. Um, I did like a lot of his kind of, when he leaned a little bit more corny, like the joke that he made about Cats the movie was the worst thing to happen to cats since dogs, I cackled. I right. wish it didn't get to me. I was mad that I was laughing as and loudly I think he, as I was. I think he even said he found that joke on Twitter, too. So oh, he did? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, congrats to Twitter. Okay, cool. So never mind. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, so it, props it, to the it was funny. Again. Yeah. yeah. But what was, to me, truly disappointing about his monologue was, so he's doing the work of being a host, which is making these jokes, and then after every time he has to add something like, I don't care, or get over it, it's like, there's nothing to get over. This is just your job. You're, mm-hmm. like, complimenting yourself for doing a job if you're gonna you be relevant. irreverent, if you're gonna be irreverent, just be irreverent. Yeah. Don't say oh, I don't care. I don't know. Like I don't like the dismissiveness of it. He can't do his job anymore without self congratulation. I mean, this... I think everybody has identified this by now, but it's so true and so boring. There's this whole air of him now, right? Where it's I'm the one who's breaking through the Hollywood hypocrisy. Oh, I'm making this joke that's making you uncomfortable, and I don't care that you're uncomfortable. Like I'm still doing it, and it's. He's been doing that shtick every time he has hosted the Globes. So at this point, we think you do care. Otherwise, yeah. you wouldn't be back. Right, right. And, and, <laughs> and he makes the joke, too, about him having 
enough Globes money, you know? So, like, he's made enough money, too. Like, he doesn't need the money for the Globes. But why are you there? Obviously, something is pulling you into doing this. Because if I didn't want to host the fucking Globes, I wouldn't do it. Right. You can actually conveniently not do it. Okay? Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. He didn't actually go after the Hollywood foreign press, which reminds you that he does care about his standing in Hollywood, Mm -hmm. right? It is the Hollywood Foreign Press Association that's inviting him back. I think he's chummy enough with them. You know, if he really wanted to be biting, if he really wanted to go for the jugular in his opening monologue, there's plenty of things he could have said about the HFPA. And he chose not to. He and did. He did call them racist. Yes, mm-hmm. but that was a sort of passing joke. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and and it felt sort of lame. And it was mockery of us calling them racist rather mm-hmm. than him just saying they're racist. You mm-hmm. know, right? He he would never sincerely make that claim yeah. about anybody. Obviously, his entire universe is centered on. What you I, called me racist, but I wasn't. <laughs> not everything can be racist. Yeah. What I will say is that the thing that always happens when someone like Ricky makes jokes about quote-unquote Hollywood hypocrisy is that conservatives are so gleeful and they are quickly running to Twitter just cheering him on and being like, oh, fuck Hollywood. Oh, the hypocrites finally got what they deserved. The liberals eating their own. And it's all just so dumb. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's also, why do you fucking care? Yeah, are you tuned in at all? Right. It just reminds you that they were all sitting there waiting for news from the Golden Globes because they're they're thirsty for it. Yeah, just one thing that will be like confirmation bias for them and then they latch on to that and it's all over red Twitter. But they're still watching. <laughs> yeah. Red Twitter, that would be a wonderful Soviet thriller. Anyway. <laughs> Starring Helen Mirren. Right, oh yes. Oh my God, the red movies. What a crazy 2000s memory. Okay, did we care about any speeches in particular? I thought there were a few pretty good ones. Um, I have a few speeches that I thought stood out to me. Well, I'm already, I, I have an affinity for Rami. So him just coming up and getting all geeky and talking, making jokes. And I loved that. Stellan Skarsgård, big fan. Loved the whole eyebrow bit. There was a beginning, middle, end. There was a climax. There was an ending. It was just beautiful. And then, of course, Tom Hanks. And that's an easy answer, but. The, no, Tom this, Hanks was beautiful. The Tom Hanks speech and the Stellan Skarsgård speech where he talked about how he did not feel recognizable in most of his roles because he apparently doesn't have prominent enough eyebrows. It was funny and also barely on the rails, which is my favorite thing about the Golden Mm -hmm. Globes. And Tom Hanks' speech was like that too. And I have to give the ceremony credit. You really only get speeches like this at the Golden Globes Mm -hmm. where they prepare it and it's meaningful and you're listening to a true legend, but also there's an element of the unhinged at play. Like Tom looking at his family who were sitting right there, including Chet Hayes. Yes. Yeah. Who apparently uh, learned about My the nigga. country of Jamaica. <laughs> My nigga Chet Hayes. <laughs> he learned about the country of Jamaica recently because apparently he did all of his interviews and, uh, or not pa- interviews. In Patois? Yes. Like he was, I think it was to honor Brad Pitt um, seen in Meet Joe Black. Oh, I. <laughs> Now it makes sense. Yes. Uh, The Tom Hanks speech is actually two things for me. It was the highlight of the ceremony for me, and it also just signified what I think is so disappointing about this award season, about Hollywood in general. Let me explain. He did some wonderful career advice, and he really sort of went from 
his history and working with people who have inspired him, like Meryl Streep, Denzel Washington, Antonio Banderas, Meg Ryan, Julia Roberts, Sally Field, talked about working with amazing directors like Nora Ephron, Steven Spielberg, Clint Eastwood, Ron Howard, um, The Last Two Shore. Um, (laughs) And then he also just talked about everyone coming to work and how, you know, like a movie's made shot by shot with everyone sort of working together and just like do your fucking job and create something beautiful and that's the magic of movies. A movie is made shot by shot. Everybody knows that. Lena Mueller knows it. Marty Scorsese knows it. Uh, uh, Jackie Chan knows that a movie is made shot by shot. And at that moment, what is required is everybody has to do their job to their perfection. They have to hit a mark and they have to go there. This was an award ceremony, too, where it was, have we had that many fucking A-list people at an award show I in felt forever? the same way. It was yeah. crazy. Him, Brad, um, Jennifer, um, Beyonce showed up. Beyonce with making, Jay-Z. Uh, with a, like a cameo? Yeah. Beyonce yeah. just appeared over people's shoulders? <laughs> just for a nomination? Right. When Joaquin Phoenix won, did you see that? Hunter tweeted it. Did you see Hunter's tweet where Joaquin won for uh, the Joker and everyone's standing up and Beyonce is just looking up at him? <laughs> I, I love that. I we're mean, so... she appeared like Orson Welles in The Third Man. Yeah. Just, here I am. <laughs> it's. I love that we're so trained to interpret Beyonce's every movement because we don't get interviews from her. Mm-hmm. That even that moment, I'm like, wow, does she hate Joaquin Phoenix? But I think it's probably yeah. likely or that dress was just gigantic. Mm-hmm. Yes, like, I don't want to stand. Yeah. Uh, or she's now pregnant with triplets. Yeah, that's that. how Beyonce goes. She goes, like, it's ascending order. But just the fact that all of those giants were there, Pacino, De Niro, Scorsese. Um, Meryl, Glenn, yes. Kate Blanchett, all those people. It just reinforced how the industry is sort of lost to me right now. You know, you you see this beautiful Hollywood that Tom Hanks is talking about, and you see how, I guess, the Globes is trying to get its last gas back towards that. And then you look at who was nominated, you look at what's winning, you look at who's excluded, you look at the BAFTA nominations, which are all fucking white this year, which Mm. just came out this morning, and it's just, I don't know, it feels almost like we're in somewhat petrified forest. It's like we're trying to reclaim the Hollywood glory days, and I don't know that we're moving forward. Brad Pitt's speech was another one that was really sort of beautiful to me. He talked about how when he came up, the people that he sort of considered famous alongside now were just sort of like, gods and giants to him and it just felt like there was no inducting new people into Mm -hmm. Hollywood and that's not to say that there weren't things like Aquafino winning and Rami Youssef but But even then there there are people between the 90s golden era of Hollywood and Aquafina and where are those people yeah right and those people are people of color, black people, LGBTQ people, and it felt like we jumped two decades. Yeah. It does feel like in general, I mean, we, we were talking about the sheer volume of icons in the room, but like how many people under the age of 25 really know those people anymore? I mean, I, I don't say that pejoratively, like obviously you and I, we all know those people, but you just wonder how much value that star power has to Gen Z. You know, I'm not depressed by that or anything, but it's just something I think about as Tom Hanks is trying to unite us all with his you know, Little League coach 
uh, uh, vibe. Mm-hmm. Can he unite us all with a comedy again, by the way? <laughs> no, joke. I tweeted this. I, I have seen every Tom Hanks comedy, but I will say that every Tom Hanks drama, I've seen a few, but most of them end up being films where I see the trailer for it, and I'm like, that is not a movie I have any interest in seeing. Mm-hmm. Captain Phillips? Though I will say... No, that Sully movie... I'm good. Sully, I was especially I'm good on. Mm -hmm. Captain Phillips, he was amazing. And it is also just crazy, by the way, he has not been nominated for an Oscar since 2000. I mean, he's still like the leading prestigious male actor, you know, arguably. Almost as crazy as the fact that we were talking about the BAFTA nominations earlier this morning. You want to talk about two glaring examples of whack whiteness. One, Margot Robbie got two supporting actress nominations, including one for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where I believe she smiles. I mean, I don't remember much of her in the movie. And then secondly, they have never once nominated Denzel Washington for a BAFTA. Denzel Washington has been nominated for nine Oscars. To not nominate him ever is literally at it's the level car-coonery. of... Yeah, it's li- <laughs> at the level of ignoring Meryl Streep. Just he mm-hmm. is like the male Meryl Streep in terms of, you know, amount of prestigious movies he makes and is wonderful yes. in, you know. So, I would argue more so than Tom. Denzel, if you're talking about male actors, is that actor. Right. And then he also bothered to be hot at one point and still kind of is. Yeah. You so know, multi-hyphenate. I always want more Denzel on yeah. my screen, mm-hmm. you know? Unless Roman J. Israels. <laughs> I that that was a strange bump in his career and a strange nomination for him. Yes. Did you guys have any speeches that you didn't like? Rubbed you the wrong way? Well, I will say this. Joaquin Phoenix expectedly won for Joker. A couple of things I didn't like. One, just the nature of his speech where he was the real one and everybody else was kind of full of shit was the vibe I got from it. But secondly, throughout the ceremony, Kate Blanchett was the one who introduced Joker as a nominated film earlier. And she was breathlessly talking about his performance, saying it was so inspirational to actor. And then when the composer for Joker won, she too was breathless about his performance. And I feel like it's this seed planting where now we can't get away from it as the inevitable best actor win, and I'm so rooting for Adam Driver at the Oscars this year. Lewis, you just have to remember that these people are fucking actors at the end of the day, (laughs) and when an actor sees Joaquin Phoenix doing that, they're like, God, that is acting. (laughs) It's acting. That is the person who you're like, you're breathless over their Amanda Wingfield in the Glass Menagerie in college, you know? You're just like the one person who's doing like the performance and it's probably just like doing the most, but you remember that. Doing the most is very it. Doing the most, when you're an actor, you see someone doing the most, you're just sort of like coming over it. Yeah, I just feel, okay, that's gross, something there, all right. But... (laughs) Just in general for that, I'm not saying he was bad. He obviously did what was on the page. But in general, that movie is just, can you believe the crazy person went crazy? I just don't find it that dynamic a performance or like that instructive, which the movie wants to be. We've talked about this before. Where'd you go, Bernadette? She went to get the poppers. That's where she went when (laughs) she saw that performance. Uh, so anyway, Kate Blanchett, I'm a little salty with you right now. Uh, but let's see, other speeches I didn't like. Um, oh, Maybe you guys can shed some light on this. Did you like the Brian Cox speech? I was I very confused it. by it. I loved it. it I was, mean, I love Brian. It I was loved his sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Everyone who was wearing sunglasses at the show on Sunday was loved Elton out of their minds. Loved Elton John. Brian was, Elton was, Patricia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> with, with her boobs literally in her chin. I loved it. I loved every Patricia second looked of like it. she had walked in from a New Year's party. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what she looked like. Uh, and by the way, now she has now beaten Meryl Streep for two Golden Globes, which is, she's awfully mm. chill about that. That's why I mm. love <laughs> the Globes. I was talking the other day in the writer's room about Patricia and how we're in a sliding doors universe where she's able to do all this because CSI Cyber got canceled. Right. <laughs> if it never got canceled, I'm thinking about her still on that show. I'm thinking about Ted Danson still being on that show and not being able to do Good Place. Right. Haley Kiyoko was on that show. <laughs> Haley Kiyoko was on that show? Wow. Yes. Like, doing that. Bow Wow was on it. <laughs> Come he might, on. He might still be on it. <laughs> Wow, that is really crazy. And then, of course, the Quentin Tarantino speech threw me off entirely. Listen, I, you know I love me some Quentin Tarantino, but I was watching that speech and I was like, nigga, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> First of all, his his uh, beautiful gownsing of Margot Robbie. Yeah. With, uh, mm-hmm. When he talked about how great it was working with the actors because they really sort of complimented his script this time as opposed, apparently, where the actors did nothing complimenting his script. It was a weird uh, note, yeah. He talked about how Leo in the trailer added so much. Brad, you know, in the acid psych-out scene. And then he was like, and Margot, her goodness. Yeah, that she her brought. truly goodness. Just so much goodness. Uh, okay, goodness, uh, beautiful goodness. Nice. Yeah. You uh, wrote that script? That You wrote that speech? Okay. Also, okay. I mean, that does boil down to how what these it, women? Yeah. Also, yeah. what what's in that performance, which is so little. I mean, at the end of the day, I, it, we we spent a whole episode talking about this uh, movie, but it really is a movie about two hours of guys wondering what's left for them in Hollywood, and then they solve it by saving the ultimate damsel in distress. Yeah. I mean, it's just not much of a message in a movie, and I do think it's going for message. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> is he usually that awkward? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, I mean, when you describe it that way, Lewis, it sounds like birth of a nation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, somebody also made the brilliant comment. I'm sorry, I can't think of who said it right now. His movies really have had a problem since his editor Sally Mank died in about 2010, mm. and she was responsible for everything up through Inglorious mm-hmm. Bastards, and now everything feels kind of clunkily overlong, um, including that speech he gave. As opposed to Scorsese's films, which are still really fucking long, I would argue Thelma Schoonmaker is doing good editing on those. Yeah. Movies can be very long and edited well. His, they need an axe. Yeah, right, right. They need an axe. I mean, I loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but at points it is languid. Yeah. Okay, I have questions now about two people who gave speeches. One, Aquafina, who won for The Farewell, a movie I really love. Yes. Everybody's great in it. And I'm loving that the grandma is getting some heat. That may happen yeah. for us at the it was It was lovely, too, that Aquafina uh, went to a vocal coach so that during her speech she wasn't speaking in a black set. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my question about Aquafina. Does she not always seem kind of bewildered and alienated wherever she is? I'm wondering if she enjoys this. I think she does. I think she was just literally shocked. Yeah, okay. To mm-hmm. Yeah, all right, all right. Literally that. shocked that... Voters were looking at their ballot and went, hmm, Aquafina. Yeah. That's who I want to win this water bottle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because obviously she has her new Comedy Central show coming out, which is Aquafina 
is Nora from Queens, and I feel like she really wants to distance herself from the Aquafina name at this point. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So she probably just felt like, I'm not going to win for this. Like, people know me as Aquafina, like, you know, like the rapper, the black scent girl. And I appreciate that this win happened. I appreciate it for what it means for history. I appreciate it for what it means for other Asian actors who can follow in her footsteps. Yeah, only a I handful lo- of Asian actresses nominated at the Globes, yes. including yeah. one-time Oscar winner Miyoshi Umeki. Yes, and she's the first Asian woman to win uh, Globe for lead actress. And I am so proud of that for her and what that means for other people. But I will say if she does want to distance herself from Aquafina, she at some point is going to have to drop a notes app something, yeah, give an interview, just acknowledging like, yo, what happened was fucked up. I would love to move on. I would love to apologize. Don't become Gina Rodriguez, girl, yeah. because right. we will research mama. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other speech I was thinking about was Renee Zellweger, who obviously won for Judy, which, by the way, was actually a relief to me because it feels like nobody's talking about that movie anymore. And she's mesmerizing in it, electric in it. But her speech to me ended up with like a nice tribute to Judy that I found inspirational and uh, apt. But up to it, she made several jokes about oh, it's nice to see everyone again after 17 years. It felt like this sort of forlorn, sad, like a little bit disillusioned with Hollywood speech that she was trying to spin as, I'm happy to be here, but it just didn't work. It it felt a little um, sadly pensive to me. Well, I really am up here. Um, Well, hi, everybody. It's nice to see you. Y'all look pretty good 17 years later. I think that what she really wanted to say was, this industry is fucked. Mm -hmm. It made me get a bunch of plastic surgery, and you all dragged me for it, even though everyone else gets that shit, and you basically shut me out for years, Yeah, and I had to claw my way back in by portraying Judy fucking Garland, and that's what she really wanted to say, (laughs) but... You know, I wonder if she's a she's a woman in Hollywood, right? I, so she yeah. couldn't she couldn't go up there and be Joaquin Phoenix. If she was Joaquin Phoenix, she would have been like, "Fuck you, fuck you." Mm-hmm. Let's talk about these people who didn't cast me, who didn't want to work with me. But now that I'm Judy Garland, now that you saw the material, now you want to get close to me. I wonder if it was awkward for her to it be in front of was. those people. Yeah, because obviously that's a room full of relationships. Yeah. I feel like at some point she was wondering, should I be Meg Ryan and just say fuck it? Yeah, mm-hmm. and leave. Um, but I think she just loves the craft so much. I think that was really hard for her to be on stage. Mm-hmm. Honestly, another speech I would say moved me was Kate McKinnon's speech. Even though we feel how we feel about Ellen, I can still acknowledge that. Ellen meant something for her. In 1997, when Ellen's sitcom was at the height of its popularity, I was in my mother's basement lifting weights in front of the mirror and thinking, am I gay? (laughs) And I was. (laughs) And I still am. And... But that's a, that's a very scary thing to suddenly know about yourself. It's sort of like doing 23andMe and discovering that you have alien DNA. <laughs> and the only thing that made it less scary was seeing Ellen on TV. Mm-hmm. That was you know a cool I mean? speech. It was a cool you speech. Know? I mean, obviously, I get that because it's like I can talk about what Bill Cosby meant 
you know, as a kid. Other black people can talk about that growing up. Obviously, now we know he is a demon. Right. <laughs> um, but that doesn't change what that representation did for you when you were younger. Right, right. Uh, right. And I really appreciate it hearing Kate talk from the heart about Ellen. Also, I mean, I actually like any reflection on Ellen as a sitcom star, which they talked about the coming out of. Her best work. Yeah, she yeah. was awesome on that show. So funny. Please go back to that. Stop dancing with white women to Justin Timberlake songs. <laughs> and also, by the way, there is a universe, and I think Ellen is pretty aware of this, where she doesn't have that talk show. Like, it does, in some ways, still feel like a fluke that she became the phenomenon that she became. And I feel like the bitterness that some of us associate with Ellen, the rancor that we believe is hiding underneath, is related to that. That, like, Oh, now I'm an icon. After all that, I finally worked my way back. You know, but um, Kate McKinnon's speech was really good and really funny. Yeah, I can see it from that side too. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, like I would like to see that bombshell. Sure, yeah, you know, sure. that a biopic. that that inside Ellen, re- behind the facade, mm-hmm. behind the um, dancelabra, if you will, <laughs> behind the dancelabra. So will the Carol Burnett Award probably only go to women comedians? Or to women, maybe? Yeah, yeah I guess so. Women. I mean, that sort of makes sense that they would have a comedy award since they award comedy specifically. Yeah. I maybe. I feel like maybe. it may go to a man at some point. I don't find very many men funny. Yeah, that's so true. I don't, <laughs> Do they want to be funny? They don't have to be. <laughs> uh, I mean, Eddie Murphy, maybe. sure. Um, in a decade, John Mulaney. Uh, who else? I don't know. Give it to women. Give it to Wanda Sykes next year. I'm going to say, yeah, we have, we have lots of women to get through. Lily Tomlin, yeah, et cetera. A lot That's of women consistently deserve Consistently keep the gay women comedians, and then once we've exhausted all ten of them... That's it. We can <laughs> I, go to you know that. who I, I bet they're going to give it to next year? I can just see it. Whoopi Goldberg. That's, that's, what, that's who I wanted. That's who I wanted. But I feel like Whoopi never gets her, her credit. Right, never. Because she's too sort of like... A celebrity who's just around. Like, we take her for granted because, oh, there she is again. Every she's day. very Ellen in yeah. that sense, you know? I feel like hers was more calculated, though, going for The View and going for that just because she's a black woman in Hollywood. Yeah. And she was like, let me find a lane where I can continue to earn money and be successful and not have to play this game. Um, and so there's probably a little less bitterness in her decision to be a talk show host than Ellen's. Because she's so chill and denim clad, you forget she's a complete groundbreaker. Okay, so I'm yes. rooting for Whoopi Gold. Yeah. Um, you know how some people are still holding on to their Brett and Jennifer fantasies about them getting back together? I have yes. I sad, have sad reporters <laughs> for paid six. <laughs> I have that for uh, Whoopi Goldberg and Ted Danson. Oh, you think, yeah. You I mean, that? I know Ted Danson's in a very happy marriage now. I'm just saying that if there was ever a world where he wasn't, he and Whoopi Goldberg should maybe rekindle their Thrupple. Yeah. I, I, no, I love this, like, um, <laughs> not slash fic, uh, fanfic version of mm-hmm. Ted Danson turning around. Yeah. Mary Steenburgen will be fine just anyway. Yeah. Finally, uh, I guess I got to see 1917. I haven't yeah. seen it yet. I know. No, that's the one I have left. I, I felt like yeah. it appeared out of nowhere, too. And it then literally just, like, here. appeared during the holidays. Yeah. And none of us had time to see it, but it also appears that nobody has misgivings about that movie, which I do like as an alternative to The Irishman, which I find, you know, oppressively long. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which we described those problems. Uh, Parasite, uh, which isn't going to win I Best know. Picture oh, because f- fuck Hollywood. I would love it if those should. actors hoodwinked their way into the acting categories, right? Like mm-hmm. like in the movie, uh, scam their way <laughs> into Hollywood. Uh, Trick Margot Robbie. And, and, and you know what? I, I hear very good things about 1917, so it would, would be very nice to see a good Sam Mendes movie again. Yeah. Right. No, I, again, it's kind of a shocking idea. It's been a minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been a minute, boo. <laughs> 
All right, when we're back, we're gonna talk to Darcy Carton from The Good Place, and we're gonna go a little behind the scenes at the Globes and other award shows. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Darcy Carden is back. Woo! And just like you, I skipped the Globes last yes, this week. You have to. Yeah, right. you know, gotta uh, give them a, gotta let them miss you. Yes. How dare they put it so close to New Year's Eve <laughs> or to like the, the holidays? It is unfortunate. How yeah. dare? Mm-hmm. I always wonder that when we, because this is the third episode that we've talked about the Globes. Mm-hmm. Uh, our debut one was right after the Globes. And then we started the year last year after it. And it's just reminding me that you don't get to like vacation right. if you are nominated right. for something. That's true, right? Because if you're nominated, you have to really be back on, I'm sure, Thursday or Friday. Yes. You got the, the rollout on Friday. Yeah. And then on Saturday, there's all the parties. And then the freaking Globes on Sunday. How dare. Push it to the next week. Critics' Choice, take the back seat. Go to the week mm-hmm. behind that. And then SAG, go to the weekend after that. Wow, you're like a, an award show solver. Yeah, you've got yeah. this all planned out. I think I just figured it out. Also, why not? Yeah. Just, I don't. I can't imagine anybody is like, yes, January 5th, that's the day that right. I want to be in like full glam. Right after eating like everything that has ever been in front of me. More cheese than I can think of. I mean, I love to eat on vacation. Oh, please. No, I was just in Puerto Vallarta and it yeah. was I, I was like Templeton from Charlotte's Web. Just oh, <laughs> 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 yeah. That's such a good one. Um, how was the food there? Um, I mean, it was actually like, pretty cares, traditional right? Mexican, yeah. but I also think they just do that for tourists. Right, right, right. So yeah, anyway, who knows if I got anything authentic at all. Right, right. They're all playing jokes on me. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you have like a favorite just award show experience? Like I'm sure you've been to got most of them by now. Well, only in the last year. My first award show really was the Globes last year. Uh Mm -hmm. But then it's like, 
you just go to them all. I mean, I certainly didn't go to the Oscars. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> the Oscars. Here's the thing. They're all fun. I think people love to say that they're like not fun. Uh-huh. I think that's like a cool thing to say. Like, oh, it's so boring. It's like, no, it's cool. You're, it's cool. You're sitting <laughs> next to like people that you're fans of and you get to watch people interact. It's cool. It's really easy in this biz to get <laughs> Like not just jaded, but also to say you're jaded, right? And I kind of think that's lame. Yeah, you want it makes you feel like a veteran to say you're jaded. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, not like I certainly understand. It's like not as fun as maybe we think it is. Like when we're Mm -hmm. sitting at home watching it on TV, but it's not a bad day. It's Mm -hmm. not like it's it's whatever. Ted Danson can complain about it, not that he does because he's been doing it for like a million years and Mm -hmm. he's done it all. But when you're new, just chill out, enjoy it, you dorks. You know <laughs> well, what I mean? Also, I feel like at the Golden Globes in particular, due obviously to the drinking situation, yeah. and also the very high volume of yes. high-profile people, like whatever, having to mingle because totally. it's a dinner situation. Yes. Yeah. I feel like you are really likely to see something you are. wild. Yeah. Do you have any particular screenshots that come to mind? You know what? Is, this is the worst answer to that question, but what I remember so well about the Golden Globes is... Right before it started, I like looked around the room and my in my brain I was like, do not forget any of this. And then the next day I was like, all I can remember is myself thinking, do not forget <laughs> <laughs> It's truly such a blur. I mean I do okay, a couple little fun ones. Peeing next to Emily Blunt. Oh good. okay. Okay. We stand. Yeah, we stand. I thought that was a quaint, elegant pee. <laughs> yes, it was. British as hell. Underrated yes, pee. Exactly. Yes. Always, right? She can pee any anything. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where we're going with that. Um, also I remember um Jason Bateman and I were like pushed against a wall while Lady Gaga like swept through. Like mm. she, you know, it's like everybody in there is a celebrity, but some people are fucking celebrities. Yes. Right. Yes. So it's funny to watch this guy who's been in Hollywood since we were babies right mm-hmm. and and he's like they're like get out of the way for miss gaga she's coming through get out of the way silver yeah spoons. yeah exactly exactly um <laughs> that's, it, that's it he's like well is there anyone that you would like saw even at any award show yeah. right, at all that still like starstruck you every fucking buddy everybody <laughs> every person and and last year was fun to do the awards shows and having the whole um Born, born this way is what I was going to call it. Mm. Star oh. is born. Star is born. Oh, yeah. A star is born yeah, this yeah. way, yes. Like having that situation. So Gaga was like at all of those. That mm-hmm. was, there's, like you were saying, there's something so exciting about seeing a pop star, someone like larger than life, I guess. Pop stars to me are on a, such a different level than actors, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like a different world. Like I, I stood next to Carol Burnett on, mm-hmm. on a red carpet. Yeah, and, that's frightening. Oh, this is fun. Like when someone's like mm-hmm. that legendary? Yes, yes. I was standing, is this fun? I don't know. I was standing ready to do the like, there, the, the Golden Globes red carpet is what it, like feels like miles long. Usually I feel like you do a little red carpet and then you go in or whatever. This is like many red carpets. It's long. And I was standing there ready to do the big one and Lucy Liu was in front of me. That's fun. Yeah. Mm. And um, Molly, Watson herself. That's right. And um, <laughs> Famous Destiny's Child lyric, Lucy Liu. Yes. I mean, can you imagine being a damn Destiny's Child lyric? And then Carol Burnett walked up and, and both of us like, almost bowed to her. We were like, Madam, right this mm. way, go ahead of us. And and that was that was fun. That's funny that there's like kind of an orbit of celebrities who they're like looking at each other making sort of sarcastic remarks or just any remarks about like the icons the in more, the room too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jason Bateman strikes me as a good ally yeah, in that way. Yeah, I think he was. He totally was. Yeah, we were both like, yes, of course. Even on Sunday's show, you know, when Brad got his globe, he was talking in his speech about how when he first started doing 
the whole circuit. You know, like yeah. those people like Tom Hanks and like Scorsese yeah. and Pacino, like they were like gods to him. And I feel like us growing up now, you just sort of think of like, oh, Brad Pitt has always been famous. Right, right. You yeah. know, yeah. but he I, wasn't then. I love so much when people... Um, when actors win awards, they talk about other actors. Mm-hmm. I love so. it. That's always my favorite when they like really give it up to their fellow noms. Do you have favorites from your um, UCB improv days who have since gone on to wild things yeah. that you're like so psyched oh, for? Oh yeah, I mean even Rami winning last night that was so exciting. For do you guys know that show? He yes. was. Oh yeah, yeah. he was the first award. Yes, of the evening. and yeah. what a great speech. I mean, it's so fun to like. You know, I've been doing comedy at Bedford Citizens Brigade for truly 15 years and so there's so many people like the Broad City Girls who are you know like two of my best friends it's been very fun to watch people sort of pop at different times in different ways and also like knowing that there's still so much more there yeah like the most talented people I know that are that you don't know does that make sense yeah, yeah. Right. so it's just like a, a little um a wealth of good talent <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, speaking of um Abby Jacobson yeah. from uh, Broad City you are doing a TV show based on A League of Their Own oh, with Abby Jacobson. Yeah. Oh, nice segue. You work in this biz? Like, um, you work this you know really well. You know what I like from UCB is Abby Jacobson. <laughs> <laughs> um, that movie to me, I don't know about uh, you, Aida, and you, Ira, uh, holds a very specific place in my heart me because uh, obviously it's all women, but like the combination of tenderness and toughness yeah. and comedy yeah. is so rad. Yeah. And so how do you feel like just jumping into a show based on that? I guess I could look at it two ways. I could be scared because because people that love that movie, including myself, love that movie and yeah. it was big for them. And it, and it wasn't just like a, oh, I love that movie. It meant something deep, deep, deep to them. The choice is either to be like, shit, I hope we can live up to it. Or I'm so excited, which is the way I feel. The, mm-hmm. the way I feel is I'm so excited. The script is so good. The cast is so exciting. Like it's all, I'm already, I could not be more excited for this. We're in baseball practice land where we practice baseball three times a week Mm. and we're like getting to know each other and, you know, we don't shoot for a little longer, but it is really exciting. Every job is good and some jobs are like, great, I'm going to be able to like pay my bills or whatever. And some jobs are, this is like so deeply fulfilling for me. And this one is that. This is like, I'm feeling it. I I played baseball or softball as like a little kid and I've always been into sports and the idea of a team, it's very dreamy to me. There's also just something about you in general. You just have the look of someone who should be on the Rockford Peaches. Great. It it just feels (laughs) great to me. Good. I will take that. I didn't actually see it until two years ago. Did it hold Uh, up to you? It it held up. It was very fun. I saw it at Hollywood Forever in the cemetery. Yeah, it was fun. But... It was a new experience yes. for me. Uh, I thought it was very funny, and it, I enjoyed it. Madonna's best performance, for sure. Literally, yes, right? Mm-hmm. She was great in that. Um, and I will say that it's not going to be a remake Correct. at all. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it's a new story, and it's really exciting, and, and I'm like thrilled to the damn gills. <laughs> I'm a fish. <laughs> That's so much fun. Uh, we were talking about Kate earlier, too, and you were in a bombshell with her. <laughs> and yeah. what was that? experience even like because you're in it right briefly for a for a hot breath yeah yes uh so did you interact with any yeah. of the here's the nice thing like i i i was in it you know i i think we shot for like a, a week or something which isn't that wild that i was in it for just a nice little kiss of a moment but you still go many days mm-hmm. um and my first day of filming was also margot and nicole and john lithgow's first day of filming oh, wow. mm. and it was just us so 
I saw that call sheet and I was like, hmm, what this going to be like? This is going to be like, Darcy, you go you go into this weird little room and the actors will be in the green room, of course, together because they're Oscar winning actors or whatever. But it was just all four of us in a little green room. And it was like a, a really everybody was really nice and really cool. And they were all a little nervous. So they hadn't formed any bonds yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was not like the odd man out at all. It was just like four actors on their first day of work. Wow. Does that, isn't that nut? That is yeah. crazy. Because I guess they wouldn't have worked with each other before either. Right. No. I think like Margot and Nicole knew each other through like the Australia From of the Outback. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, but it, it was. The steakhouse. Yes, you know. <laughs> but it just was really special and, and they were very lovely to me and included me. In, and then, you know, like on, on my second day with them, it was like I was part of the crew or part of the group, I guess not the crew. I'm picturing you for some reason having to explain the concept of the good place to Nicole Kidman and her just being baffled. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Oh my god, luckily I didn't have to. I I mean meaning like for sure none of them knew what the good place was <laughs> and I didn't and I didn't bring it up. Um, when, John Lithgow by the way, very good in this movie and he's sort of not getting award show buzz. I and agree. once upon a time, he was like the up and coming gonna win an right. Oscar person. He was nominated in 82 for World According to Garp and then 83 for Terms of Endearment and then he you know became a TV star right. and stuff. But uh, he's, I'm, he's ro- I'm rooting amazing for him. in yeah. this. Is, is there awards buzz around him? Not really. Right. No. He's yeah. really wonderful. It's about Margot, really. Right. You know. Um, and she's so good in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, she really is. Uh, oh my God, she's so good. The and, light catches her in a way where it's like, God damn it! What uh, you're like a I know a diamond. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you, every scene I'm in, I'm right next to her, and that's gonna <laughs> hurt the old ego. Okay. <laughs> when you watch it back, you're like, Oh shit. I'm on TV and she's in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> this is like your Taylor Swift "You Belong with Me" lyric. Yes, yes. Totally. yeah. <laughs> you're, you're in the bleachers. Yes, right. Yeah. I uh, saw the Terry Gross and Adam Driver situation and was wanting to know if did you guys see that? Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, wanted to know like, do you like watching yourself back? Do you like? Can you watch The Good Place and be like, yeah, I did, I did good. You know, <laughs> that's a great question because it's like equal parts painful and cool. Mm-hmm. You know. I usually have to watch The Good Place twice because once I'm watching it like sort of behind my hands, like peeking through, being like, ah, and then the second time I can sort of watch the full show. Occasionally you're like, okay, good. That thing that I was trying to do worked, but mostly you're just like, why do I look like that or whatever? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not easy. (laughs) It's not like fun, but I really love the show and like this is is a really – lame thing to say but between like Barry and The Good Place and Broad City I love those shows like those Mm -hmm. are my favorite shows so I'm like watching a show that I love and I just happened to be on it you know if you were like really working your butt off and and you were on like a shitty show and you had to watch that back that would probably be double painful yeah yeah um Mm -hmm. But it's not, it's not, um, I don't know, it's not easy. I, what, I guess there are harder things in the world. Yes, but I get Adam Driver. I've Listen, since Christmas, the guest appearance I did yeah. on you, looking at my face in that <gasps> it's hard. horrifies me. I know, it's, oh, it yeah. horrifies me. It's like. Because it's, you also shoot, you shoot things months ago, yeah. Yeah. too, and you know, I've like, I know that I've like significantly lost weight in my you face since good. then, too, mm-hmm. but I'm like, that's the only thing you can focus on. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At yeah. all. I know. And, and it goes on and on. I mean, there, it's, you know, it like gets yeah. deep into your little. I don't know how actors sit there and watch decades reels I, of that. Yeah, I, oh, I, I know. I know. No, I watched, um, last year I, I, I did the red carpet for the Oscars, yeah. and I a clip of me made it to like the main broadcast, the network before the telecast, and I truly think I am like a friendly person, uh-huh. like not tip whatever. I had to talk to camera. 
I'm telling you, the glower on my face, <laughs> it is like a Christoph Waltz performance. Just like I may as well have been like playing with my no mustache way. and snickering no the whole way. time. Uh-uh. But like, it's like, God, that's the one thing that had to make it to broadcast. So the I fact know. that you have to watch yourself weekly is yeah. a real tr- uh, uh, yeah, accomplishment. It's, it's, a we- yeah. it's weird. It's, um, it's, you know, I know that some people don't at all, but I, th- I actually like learn a lot watching myself. You know, you can kind of think like, you just, it's, I, I also like have, you know, I'm not 20, so I've been doing this for a while, and mm-hmm. I can separate it a little bit from, like, oh, I don't like the way my body looks, to, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. being like, okay, that worked, that doesn't work. But yeah. mm-hmm. ooh, we, I'm, like, I'm, like, scratching myself right now just thinking about it, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's okay, it's okay. It's okay. Okay, no, here's a random thing I've been thinking random. about. Random! Speaking of the, the Oscars coming up. <laughs> um, <laughs> Are you aware of the storyline happening with your girl, Mary Steenburgen, married to, of course, your co-star, Ted yeah, Danson? Yeah. So Mary Steenburgen, an Oscar-winning actress, yeah. wrote this song for a movie called Wild Rose. Yes. Um, and she wasn't a songwriter until somewhat recently when she had routine real. arm surgery and woke up from it and her brain had basically been rearranged. This like something true. maybe bad happened to her. But she she basically had a new musical sensibility yeah. and what? started writing compulsively all the time and this- now wrote a song that may be nominated yes. for and might win an Oscar. Yeah. This is like the, the wildest story and, and, and amazing too because so – Imagine going in, like, it would be one thing if she went in for, like, brain surgery also, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It was just, like, something in her arm. And I assume it's, like, the anesthesia or some. Right. I don't know what. Something messed with her brain chemistry. And she couldn't stop thinking in song, basically. Like, she, there was music in her head all the time. She had never been musical, never played any instruments. but in, And it was kind of driving her crazy. This is actually years ago. I think this is, like, at least a decade ago, yeah, I mm-hmm. think. And, and instead of it like making her crazy she learned how to play instruments and mm. learned how to write songs and now goes to like i think nashville all the time and and, and has this like community of musicians uh she's written a million songs i mean she's like made it a part of her life she's yeah. now a songwriter a musician it's it's amazing she's it's, so it's impressive. amazing and i'm worried like okay mary <laughs> uh, as long as you work it out i'm excited yeah i think I she mean, totally worked it's it out like homeland but you know Music, right? Yes. Carrie Matheson, if she could turn that jazz into mm-hmm. her head into playing right. an instrument instead of right. you know sleeping with terrorists, right, 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 right. right. <laughs> I, I know there's something really impressive about it because I, I mean, she, uh, you know, this happened when she's like probably in her what. 40s or 50s yeah. mm-hmm. and to te- you know, how like every day I wake up and I'm like mm, I should have learned to play the drums but too late yeah. <laughs> and right. she was like oh I'll try I don't know she's she's so impressive she's a really amazing woman and they- she made the best of like an insane situation because totally. that would be horrifying totally. right right those two you guys they rank among my favorite couples I, I mean, I, you, you know I, I said Ed Harris and Amy Madigan above all above but all but Ted Danson and Mary Steenburgen yeah. they're they real. just seem the sweetest they're so real I was once they at Comic Con and I feel like there was a party and there was a pool separating us, but they walked in and I was just mesmerized. Yes, they are. They have mesmerized. that. They have that thing. They like walk in and, and it's like a gust of, of air and everybody's like, oh, it's them. Like Rock and Doris. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They, yeah, mm-hmm, they look mm-hmm. good. They are yeah. so in love. They rule. They are great. They're each other's like best people. Aw. Yeah, I know. Gross. Well, thank you so much for being here again, Thanks, Darcy. I'm, it's a pleasure. You guys are lovely. It's so nice to meet you, too. Yeah, nice to meet you, too. Yeah, cool. Okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) The Good Place airs Thursday nights on NBC, and its series finale is Thursday, January 30th. Coming up next, we'll talk about Judge Judy and her Mike Bloomberg endorsement.
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Breaking news. Rich people love rich people. Oh, isn't that sweet? Big shot. <laughs> Judge Judy Scheidlin, known to everyone else as Judge Judy, has finally given us her long-awaited presidential endorsement. On Monday, in an appearance on ABC's The View, Judge Judy officially put all of her backing behind former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg for President of the United States. It is the first time she has ever endorsed a candidate. It's also sort of the first time she's taken a real stand, period, I think. Uh, I mean, in, she, in a statement, literally said, this is a career risk for me. It's like, no, it's not. No, it's you have not. so much money. No one is ever going to stop watching Judge Judy. She, after Oprah, is like the great syndication uh, wizard, you know, yeah. just like happened and is worth something like nine figures, as much as I said before. I mean, not just after Oprah. I mean, when her show debuted, it started beating Oprah, and she is the highest rated show in daytime and when we're talking about high ratings we're talking about the fact that her show gets 10 million viewers which compared to like Ellen DeGeneres which gets like a 2.3 million or like a Dr. Phil which thinks like teeters between like 3 and 4 million like millions of fucking people watch Judge Judy right yeah it's interesting though that she's sticking her neck out here because the things she has to say about Mike Bloomberg are not incisive not Meaningful. It doesn't make me think about him anymore. She was questioned about Mike Bloomberg being, you know, another rich guy. She said, to define Mike Bloomberg as just another rich guy is one of the greatest injustices of this political pain that we are in because Mike Bloomberg is one of the only candidates who has experienced governing and managing and is successful. You know that he's running against the vice president, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that he's running against Senator Elizabeth Warren, Senator Bernie Sanders. It's just a weird, vague, strange thing to say. And when they questioned him about that on The View... Joy Behar said, well, he's the vice president. Her response was, ah, vice president. As in putting the word vice in front of the word (laughs) invalidates his throne. Uh, It's what invalidates Miami. Right. (laughs) Uh, She also talked about how he was a brilliant self-made guy and he was mayor for 12 years and it ran very efficiently in New York. All right, I'm going to humor this for a minute. Uh, I lived in New York from 2007 to 2011, 2012. So my entire tenure in New York was under Bloomberg as mayor. Did it run efficiently? Well, I will say that um, he did run as a Republican in 2001 uh, and got Giuliani's support. Uh, and even as a Republican, kept his values of being a defender of abortion rights. Um, he was very much against John Roberts's confirmation, for instance. Uh, he supported strict gun laws um, and legalizing same-sex marriage. Uh, and he also had a very high polling rate, um, above 70, which went down when he supported the Islamic center that they initially wanted to build next to Ground Zero. Ground Zero Mosque, if anyone remembers that annoying fucking conversation (laughs) that we constantly had. But he also supported Stop and Frisk, uh, which has ruined a lot of fucking communities in New York, black communities and um, Latino communities. And um, 
that wasn't efficient and that was wasn't great. I guess it was great if you were a rich white woman like Judge Judy. He apologized for that, of course, before he announced his presidential run. How convenient is that? <laughs> and of course, it all worked out. And of course, he did it at the Christian Cultural Center, a black megachurch in Brooklyn, because you don't run for president as a Democrat without giving a speech in a black church. Right. Uh, so I'm sort of here and there on Bloomberg as a mayor and running efficiently. I will give her that he is actually self-made. Um, he made all of his wealth um, from Bloomberg LP, the financial data company he founded in 1981. So, like, he actually has made his own money. And uh, compared to the other billionaires in the race, I use quote billionaires, him spending all this fucking money on his campaign actually won't put a dent in his, like, $53.4 billion net worth. As opposed to like a Tom Steyer. Right. It's who freaky. is Tom Steyer maybe needs to chill out <laughs> before you go broke, baby. Um, I just think it is so don't you know that this hand washes that one too? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like giving you when you're good to mama. That's what she feels like um, with this endorsement because it's what is the point? You know, like what what are we going to get from Bloomberg? He ran New York City, which she said was diverse. It's the most diverse place in America compared to the United States, which is also diverse. And so that's what means he should be president. Yeah. Right. I don't know. It just Yeah, it feels random to me. What shocked me about it, especially, was that we see that Judge Judy is someone who, first of all, I didn't think existed outside of her show. Correct. Second of all, she hasn't taken a political stance in the past. So what is her impetus for this, right? Especially when you know that supporting Bloomberg makes her look elitist, makes her look classist, makes her look like someone who was only interested in herself. So how much did Bloomberg pay her to endorse? (laughs) I mean, that would be a very smart strategic move, I think, to say, Judge Judy, will you endorse me? Mm -hmm. Other than that, I don't care who Judge Judy endorses for president. I would say it really threw into sharp relief how much I don't know about Judge Judy, mm-hmm. how much she is reduced yeah. to the catchphrases on her show, the Sherry O'Terry impersonation from back in the day, which mm-hmm. reigns supreme still, <laughs> um, and also a couple of sassy book titles. Mm-hmm. I will say that the idea that maybe he paid her um, is not out of the realm of possibility, but I will also say that knowing what we do know about Judge Judy, um, and I did a little dive it makes sense that she would support Bloomberg, to be honest, because she has always sort of described herself as a quote-unquote individualist. If you remember that interview she did with Megyn Kelly on Megyn Kelly's talk show um, existed at some point <laughs> in the world. Yes. Um, she, I believe Jane Fonda set that one on fire. She did. She during did. a fire drill Friday. <laughs> yeah. Like Beyonce walking away in the diva video. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Judge Judy was asked, why she doesn't consider herself a feminist by Megyn Kelly, the woman who famously says that she is not a feminist. Just a couple of white women talking about why they don't consider themselves feminists. You know. Important. Great daytime TV. Don't know why that show's not still on the air. Judge Judy said that she described feminism as sort of like a larger group, a safety net. Uh, She's an individualist. Like, you could be the best at what you want to be, but you have to do it by yourself. She's one of those, like, bootstraps rich people, right, who believes that, like, I did all of this and everyone in the world has this same sort of um, opportunity to do this. And, like, Megyn Kelly was even like, yeah, you can be the best damn burger flipper you can be. You know? It's like this – Cool insights. This this shitty sort of rhetoric of – 
everyone is on their own and everyone most has people the just same aren't working chances. hard enough most yeah. people just aren't working hard enough that we're like all free from the invisible hands of oppression and that we have right. this equal opportunity no asked about the me too movement by megan kelly judge judy said i think it's a good jumping off point but i don't think it should infect the workplace and the way women and men interact with one another you see like this is her just sort of like black and white thinking of we're all responsible for ourselves right you know, and um, there was an interesting profile of her in the New York Times by Jasmine Hughes, who sort of dug into her original books in the 80s. And she just talked about how, like, some women were master deniers and conceded that some people who had suffered domestic abuse were victims, but also dopes, you know, like, and maybe she's changed that thinking. But, you know, it's just all stemming from this idea that you are responsible for everything that happens to you and there is no oppressive System, right, right, you know. Right. So anyway, uh, I, 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 again, nothing she said about him sticks with me in any meaningful way. So if she yeah. meant, but I mean, who's to say? I mean, maybe she does influence people. It's weird because she's not like Oprah, who is mm-hmm. constantly. We, we can like uh, 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 map her influence based mm-hmm. on like, you know her past political associations, etc. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really just because we don't consume that type of media anymore, but. I mean, I grew up watching Judge Judy. I think we've all seen it. And there's no denying that millions of people watch her. So that influence could become Oprah-like, but also Oprah couldn't get Hillary elected. So there you are. (laughs) Is what it is. When we're back, keep it. back with our favorite segment of the episode as always it's keep it we take a big pot of tea jump into it it's scalding hot we shouldn't do that i need a big pot of tea yeah yeah you sound like it my keep it is to this cold i know likewise yeah i have a real keep it but lewis what is your keep it we'll start with you (sighs) this one is painful for me keep it to the new netflix show goop lab which will apparently investigate Gwyneth Paltrow's, investigate is among the most generous words, it will showcase the Goop brand. It appears to be Gwyneth Paltrow sitting with four people who are pretending to be really excited about all this stuff, and it just is yet another arm of Goop being this weird wellness propaganda thing. Here's the thing. I have long touted Gwyneth as an actress because she really is awesome. Take it all the way back to the beginning. Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle, that movie about Dorothy Parker, she has like two lines in it, slays. And there are some legends in that movie, and she outshines them. No offense to Jennifer Jason Lee. Move it right along to Emma, Sliding Doors. These are okay movies that she makes amazing. Shakespeare in Love, Proof, that's a math movie. Would you think Gwyneth could pull off a math movie? Maybe not. I don't know. She was amazing in it. Unfortunately... I, as a Gwyneth acting fan, and I even enjoyed her in Netflix as the politician this year, can no longer deny that Goop has entirely taken over her brand. It is the defining thing uh, uh, of her celebrity relevance. She was just at the Golden Globes recently talking about how she's semi-retired from acting, but deeply unretired from Goop, which continues its reign. In this trailer, Gwyneth Paltrow basically is uh, talking about, you know, uh, controversial therapy techniques. There's people getting exorcisms in this. And she seems sort of delighted by it all. And it's not that she's anti-vax, but it's that same streak of 
distrust what research you already know. Let's go with our own way. Can we please not? Can we please stick with what we know? It's so much. We know so many things. I like those things in particular. Um, She gave a quote also about Goop recently, which says, I also really love when we write about something or talk about something at Goop. And, you know, the Internet goes crazy. And then six months later, 12 months later, two years later, you see it kind of being widely adopted into the culture. Does she mean that people are still tweeting about that and concerned? Because I can't say that jade vagina (laughs) eggs are, say, at my doctor's office. So anyway, uh, Gwyneth, I continue to love you in everything from Country Strong to Shallow Hal. But I just can't with this insane, deeply beige, but deeply upsetting brand. I agree, but also I did order yesterday morning a smoky quartz um, crystal water bottle from Goop. You literally did? Are you I willing, did. Are you willing to disclose how much it costs? It's $80. <laughs> does it do, what does it do for you? Uh, well, smoky quartz is about... Um, Sorry, I have to fi- throw up while you say smoky quartz again. <laughs> <laughs> it's about fending off negative energy. Oh, that's water. what it does. My God, energy queens, spare me. That being said, I'm going to watch it. Okay, yeah. yeah so, I mean, just to see. Just to see what it's like. I mean, she really does, uh, again, daughter of Blythe Danner. And as you know, they both love a sweater. <laughs> My keep it this week goes, this is very difficult for me to do because Justin Bieber has been a icon for me for most of my childhood. He was my my Nick Lachey, my Justin Timberlake. You know, he was really my boy icon as a kid. That you okay, did, well, you didn't name any icons. There, but. <laughs> that you picked Nick Lachey before Justin Timberlake. I I'm love sorry. what's left of me. I love it. <laughs> but recently, and it's not 2020 unless a pop star releases an awful song. It's the beginning of the year. So Justin Bieber, I think on the second or third, released a song called Yummy. Now, the song, as you can see, like if you listen to the lyrics, it's probably about performing the act of cunnilingus, which I'm sure he's very happy to talk about now because he's married to Hailey Bieber and he's crawled out of this marriage to talk about, you know, making love to his new wife. Here's my problem with the song. It's not the best song. I don't even care about that part. What I care about is all over his Instagram, he's posted photos of children, like young babies, hashtag yummy for the caption for all of them. Oh, that's too bad. And I don't understand. This happened literally like 30 hours ago, so I'm still reeling. Who is doing your ad marketing? Who is doing your... Is it Kevin Spacey? I want to know. I want to know why is it that you think that the, like, the pedophilia area is where you're going to get your market. I don't understand. I, what, I, what I think is happening, Justin Bieber is trying to achieve the level of trolling that uh, TJX6 has given us. A Lil Nas X has given us. I like how all these rappers are just letters and numbers now. Sure. A Wi-Fi password rapper has given us. But he's, he's nowhere near that level of finesse. And it's just awkward. It feels stilted. It feels really inappropriate. And I, I mean, go ahead. Meme your way to jail. Justin Bieber, but listen to Yummy, I guess, stream it if you want, but... I just look... I mean, they're very lovely photos of babies, <laughs> um, but I don't know why they're hashtag Yummy. Wow. Yeah, Ann Gettys was never like, hashtag Yummy as she put a kid in a pot. <laughs> uh, I think the song is sort of a anemic bop. Yes. Like, like it feels sort of like when we thought Zayn was going to give us an album that we could, you know, vibe to. Pillow Talk kind of hit, though. Pillow Talk hit, but talk the rest hit. of the album was a Lunesta. <laughs> and I, I like this song, but it's also not Where Are You Now? It's not Sorry. Exactly. That's what I want from But Bieber. by the way, we're still a little salty with him after that bad guy 
version he jumped on, With right? Billie Eilish? Yeah, it's just not good. It, he's not he's not the right, right performer for I that. I didn't listen no. to that shit. Yeah. I just heard it when I was doing research for this, but I mean, I'm, I'm a Justin Bieber fan. I still enjoy the seminal works, My World and My World 2.0. I like oh, Justin. I love Justin. Yeah. This was just, you're right, anemic, a lunesta, yeah. an ambient. And Journals, that. a great album. Yes. Unfortunately, you brought up Zane, which reminded me of Liam Payne's recent album. Guys, Ugh. I don't know. Garbage. That, I, I'm too used to using the word flop. This was the flop arena. This, <laughs> <laughs> this was a bomblerina yeah. level <laughs> of flop. Okay, this was cat's level flop. This album is offensive on every level. I thought that Liam was going to at least give us some like, garbage pop songs that you could at least play in a gay discotheque. Yeah, right. You know? He already gave us For You with Rita Ora. Yeah. Uh, he had the Get Low song with Zed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this album is bad. In it a rare way. unlistenable. In a, in a way where like, there are always bad and good movies, but if you look at Metacritic ratings for music, it's rare that music scans as bad because it, it, it has no goals to achieve. Just sound good. It's not like there needs to be a plot and like wonderful characters, whatever. Uh-huh. To be that bad is rare. Harry Styles is the only one I'm going to acknowledge from One Direction until death. Oh, please. That's it. Cherry is wonderful. Yeah, that's a really good album. Yeah. And it came out a week after Liam's album, too, which was sort of like a, all right, that's over. Now that we've done with the riffraff, let's get to the real music. Whew. Uh, By the way, shout out to Niall. I like his new song. I do like Niall, too. Yeah. Niall, I support. Okay. And I support Zane. Honorable mention. Because he's not white. Yeah. Got to support the sisters. (laughs) <laughs> uh, my keep it this week is to Tyler Perry Fair mm. Tyler Perry uh, th- There are many reasons to say keep it to Tyler Perry <laughs> But in particular This week He tweeted out A video of All the scripts from his TV shows The haves and have nots uh, The oval Sisters And he spoke over the video saying, I don't know if you know this, but all shows on television have a writer's room, and most of the time there are 10 people, 12, whatever, that write on these television shows. I have no writer's room. Nobody writes any of my work. I write it all. I wrote all of these scripts by myself in 2019. What's my point? Work ethic. I'm just going to first address the fact that Tyler, we all knew that you were writing these yourself. Um, I don't think anyone is disputing the fact that this all comes from your pen. Um, All of the misogynoir, all of the colorism, all of the bad portrayals of black women who want to have a job, all of the fantasia surrounding light-skinned men as heroes, all of the latent homophobia in your scripts, uh, I don't think the actual <laughs> plot holes in acrimony. Yes, um, the, the 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 obsession with rape <laughs> and fake rape accusations, um, like in the Oval, uh, which I do stand, and we'll get to that in a minute. This is a no crazy one... <laughs> quote, by the way, for somebody who literally created something called "I can do battle by myself." <laughs> yeah, like you see how I didn't have to write the joke; it's right, right there. <laughs> um, so we 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 we've been new. Dot dot dot. It's it's you. It's your pen. Um, I will say that I'm not sure if I entirely believe it. (laughs) I feel like there may be a cadre of writers who are 
doing a lot of grunt work and him coming up with stories and him just like sliding them a check under the table. Why do I believe that? Well, because when he was initially working on the haves and have-nots, he fired all the writers when he did used to have a staff because he had a dispute with the WGA over actually supporting a union and paying writers their worth for working on his shows. And so I feel like he's proud of doing a show himself because he's proud of not paying other people what they're owed. Um, And it's really just sort of selfish in a way, particularly from someone who speaks so much about how we need to build our own as a black community. Because earlier last year, he gave a speech at the BET Awards, and he talked about how when he built his studio, he built it in a neighborhood that was one of the poorest black neighborhoods in Atlanta so that young black kids could see that a black man did it, and now they can too. I was trying to help somebody cross It's all about trying to help somebody cross while everyone else is fighting for a seat at the table talking about hashtag Oscar so white, hashtag Oscar so white. I said, y'all go ahead and do that while you're fighting for a seat at the table. I'll be down in Atlanta building my own. Well, nigga, who's sitting at it? Exactly. Who is sitting at it besides you? What is the point of building your own and talking about this table that you're bringing people to if you're not bringing any other black writers, black creators. He talked a lot about how people like Taraji P. Henson and other black actors weren't being paid their worth until he cast them in things, which is all well and good, but do you only care about black celebrities and not about other black people who have stories to tell? We've all heard his story about how he was homeless, living in his car, and he had to sort of work his way up through, you know, what's like derogatory named like the Chitlin circuit, yeah. like doing his Medea plays. Does he want other black writers to have to do that? That compounded with, you know, like the whole WGA thing and like firing his writer staff is just sort of like, fuck you, Tyler. Like you, you're, you're spouting this idea that you want to be helpful to the community while putting this ego boost video out saying, I did all it by myself. Well, nigga, we know. We know you did it by yourself. We can look at the material. <laughs> it doesn't look edited. It doesn't look It doesn't look red. edited. You have not improved as a creator, as an artist. Um, there's no engaging with actual criticism of his mm-hmm. work. It's just bad. It is. And I love The Oval on BET, his show about a white president and the black first lady. Uh, and it starts out with them getting into a fist fight in the Oval Office, and it involves a cult, and it involves fake rape accusations, two of them, um, in the pilot alone. And do I watch it because it's good? No, I watch it because it's a goddamn mess. Uh, and it's fun. You, you are attracted to mess, I do yeah. have to say. You're you know, Marie Kondo, too. Yeah, you know, um, I figure if I watch enough white mess, I should also watch black mess, too. Um, Thank you. But I'm, I'm not watching it because it's good, mm-hmm. you know? So we know... The the taste level is not there. Um, work ethic, sure. Congrats. My heart goes out to like all of the young black Atlanta screenwriters that are trying their hardest to break into the industry, but there's no room for them to get into in Atlanta. So they have to come to L.A. They have to go to New York. When in all reality, he's in a position to be at a table, which he's actually made a counter, like you said, where he's just facing forward and it's just <laughs> one stool. And it's Tyler ordering, I don't know, chicken and waffles and then complaining about, oh, black people eat chicken. But it's the stories he wrote. So there's that. And also just 
just do better. Just do better. You're like the only one of the only large like black producers and directors right now. Do better. Yeah. And if you're not going to do better, don't stand up at the BET Awards and lecture other black people on how they need to work within their own community and support one another if you're not going to do that shit yourself. Niggas and they chauvinism, bro. <laughs> I'm over it. Uh, well, that's our show. Uh, Meaty one. Yes. Uh, <laughs> thanks again to Darcy Carton for joining us. And we'll see you next week. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. It's Caroline like the princess. The one you don't care about. Our editor is Bill Lance and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian for filming and editing our video content every week. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 